Well, if you have your Bible, you go and you can go ahead and turn in it to the book of Psalms and turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is where we're going to go tonight. Um, I hope that you had a good day. You know, here it is, it's Monday. How many of you would say, um, Brother Matt, today was definitely a, a Monday. Anyone have a day like that? Not, okay, just a couple, okay. I'm sorry, uh, Monday is not always uh, the best day in the world, but uh, I appreciate, listen, I am so glad that you made it out here tonight. Um, I really, um, I don't... Um, I don't take it for granted that you you spent your day. Uh, many of you spent the day at work. Uh, many of you spent the day. I was just talking to someone, uh, you know, mowing the lawn and uh, taking care of the yard. And so you did things, and you're tired, and yet you're still here. And I really appreciate that. And uh, one thing I. Lord willing, I, I won't ever do is I won't waste your time. You're willing to come here and um, hear God's word preached and get a little extra help for your walk with God. And uh, I hope that then this will be an, an encouragement to you and will change you. Uh, like I said on Sunday, if uh, my prayer is always not that, um, uh, as one preacher said, uh, I don't want to know if you've been challenged. I want to know if you've been changed. And every message is going to come to you and ask you to change in some way. Uh, we're not here to just challenge us to just grow a little bit. Uh, God willing, we want to all change. If we're not perfect, that means something ought to change. And you might say, Brother Matt, I have no idea what needs to change. As far as I know, everything is okay. Can I tell you something? That is not a bad place to be. Or you would say, Brother Matt, I just don't see anything right now that needs to change. That's okay. If you're not perfect, ask God to show you what it might be. You know, it might be something small. It might be something that just, wow, that was just, that was just so helpful. It's moving me along. Other another message, it might just be that God impacts you. God meets with you and impacts you and changes you in some way. And so, uh, uh, so just uh, I appreciate that you're here. Be here as often as you can. You never know um, what the uh, what the truth is that you're going to need um, from this week. And uh, so uh, glad that you uh, made it out tonight. The song you heard, um, uh, just one that is just a real simple song. My wife and I love it a lot. Is on uh, our new CD that we just made, and uh, that was also playing during the prelude, uh, playing a little bit. So uh, if you like um, music and just you know, it's me and my wife. But thankfully, my wife already sounds good and they had a really good editor okay that um takes care of those um sour notes that uh, you probably heard a couple out of me tonight of um thinking i knew what was coming next and i didn't um but uh so grab one of those out there it's on the table then there's also two volumes of um, guys, uh, groups of guys singing. I'm on both of these. This is a little bit older one. This is one we had a group of us when I was in Bible college that um, several of the guys there um, felt the Lord even calling them into evangelism. One guy was the son of a, um, or at least one guy I know was feeling called into evangelism, and um, one guy was the son of an evangelist, and so we formed a team, our own group, and uh, we traveled around the South, and we preached and we sang. And when we were done, we had a little money from the love offerings, and so we made a CD. And so if you like, um, uh, you know, kind of gospel quartet music, most of those are either four or five of us were singing on uh, each of those songs. And then this is uh, one that is, again, fresh off the presses uh, called Then Sings My Soul. And this is a group of 12 guys with full orchestration singing and uh, um, some familiar songs, maybe some new songs to you. But um, uh, so if you enjoy hearing guys sing, those are back there. And again, um, all, all, all I ask is just you pick, you take CDs home, just put something in that box back there by the CDs that you think is fair uh, to cover the cost. Okay, keep it affordable, okay, to yourself. Can I tell you something? Give yourself a discount. That is allowed. Actually, that is encouraged. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard when you want to buy music and, you know, the CDs are, you know, $15 a piece or, you know, you know two for $29. You're thinking, you know, that's not really a deal, okay? Um, but, uh, you know, but this way, it's, it's definitely a price you can afford, okay? So you can name the price. Just put what you think is fair um, to cover the costs uh, for those back there, okay? So let's jump into um, Psalm 51. Folks, I'm going to tell you, uh, I just, uh, I pray um, this afternoon, I was praying this afternoon that um, the Lord will just open our eyes to the truth of Psalm 51 because there is some precious precious stuff, for lack of a better word, in Psalm 51 
uh, that can really, uh, I hope will lift your spirits, and I hope will really encourage you here tonight, and hopefully also, uh, perhaps if there's something uh, that is in your own heart, in your own life, um, that, uh, that needs to leave, that needs to go, something between you and the Savior, uh, I hope that tonight's message that the passage will show you uh, that the Lord is worthy of that being gone um, from your life. So I uh, hope it'll help you. I uh, appreciate those who are able to join us by live stream. Uh, met, uh, I met a gentleman this afternoon at a shop, and I hope, Brother Stanley, if you were able to uh, uh, be on here, I hope that you were able to make it. And uh, appreciate those of you who are listening by live stream if you're not able to make it. But um, let's go ahead and look at Psalm 51 is where we'll be um, for this evening. Now, one of the nice things about the Psalms, um, you ever notice, you know, uh, with the Psalms, there's that, um, there's that little section where it says Psalm, 50, you know, Psalm whatever, then there's that little section underneath in italics that tells us some things. Now, sometimes that little section of italics is, um, there are a bunch of, for lack of a better term, there are a bunch of big words that nobody uses and we're not, sometimes not even sure what they mean. Uh, just to let you know, some of those words are, um, are kind of musical references that people back in the Old Testament would have understood. Understood. But sometimes they put something in there that really helps us understand what's the background of this psalm. Some of them, we don't know. We don't even know the author on some of them. But some of them like this one, we know exactly what's going on. At the beginning of Psalm 51, that little italic section above at the top, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, there's our author, King David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, this is a reference back into the book of 2 Samuel, which um, you've probably heard of David. You know, uh, David and Goliath. David, David takes the five smooth stones, uh, kills Goliath. That's the famous story that we know of. But David was eventually used by God as he grew older. Uh, God used him to become the second king of the nation of Israel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, we can read about as he comes to power as the new king. First he's king over the region of Judah. Then he becomes king over all of Israel. And as he's, um, as he's rising, God blesses him. He has wars uh, with the Philistines. He goes to war with the Ammonites. He goes to war with the Syrians. And God is blessing him. And he's seen victory in these battles. He's seen victory after victory. And then we come to chapter 11 and says that after the latter reigns it was the time when kings go forth to battle um, I, I guess as may have been the tradition maybe it was difficult to move troops during the latter reigns but um, but David for whatever reason uh, most of the times the kings would lead their armies into battle but in second king second uh, Samuel 11 David does not David should have been at the front of his lines, leading his men into battle, but he did not. And we're really not even told why he did it. And, uh, and, he did, and because he wasn't where he ought to be, he ended up making some sinful choices. You know, can I just throw this out there? Is that um, if you stay in the middle of God's will, it's not a guarantee that we won't sin, but if you'll stay in the middle of God's will, it'll sure help keep you from some temptations. Allow your kids, by the way, to stay in the middle of God's will. That they might also be protected from maybe some temptations that they would have never had to face. David, out, uh, out of God's will, doesn't lead his armies into battle. So therefore, he's at home. He notices a woman washing herself. He, uh, he lusts after her, craves her, has her brought into him. And the two of them cheat on their spouses together in a bedroom. And uh, soon after that, uh, Bathsheba sends the message back to King David and says, I'm pregnant. And so, uh, what does uh, David do? Instead of confessing his sin, he calls in her husband, tries to uh, get some circumstances work so that he will, so that her husband will think that the child is his. That doesn't work. So David arranges for Bathsheba's husband to be murdered. Once he is murdered, then uh, then King David says, "Oh, I'm such a compassionate person. I'll take you to be my wife because your poor husband died on the battlefield." And so and so he does that. Of course, everyone thinks now when they announce, "Woohoo!" You no, we're expecting a child. Everyone thinks, well, this is legitimate when David had very carefully and very cleverly covered his sin. So we thought. 
until God brought along a prophet in 2 Samuel chapter 12 by the name of Nathan, who came to him and said, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom. I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah, and if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? And so the prophet Nathan confronts King David and says, Thou art the man. You are the one who has committed this atrocious sin against God. Now one of the things we notice is that as soon as David is confronted, the Bible says he immediately admits, whoa, that was close. Uh, it's, uh, it's never gotten that close before. He immediately admits to his sin. And he's willing to say, yeah, he says, yes, I have sinned before the Lord. Let me ask you this. You ever done something wrong, sin as a believer, and, um, and maybe, maybe it was something it's, happening again and again and again maybe it's something where it's just particularly embarrassing and you asked god's forgiveness and can we can we use this for lack of a better word can we use this phrase even though you asked for forgiveness can we put it this way you still didn't feel forgiven you ever felt that way that you 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 knew you'd done wrong you knew god says uh you know get right with me so you did that but even though you did that you feel like i'm not forgiven am i really forgiven you know something is that king david wrestled with that and one of the things that we don't get in second samuel is we don't get to know what is going on inside of his heart inside of his mind thus thankfully we have psalm 51 where david opens up about uh, about the relief that came to him after he had sinned so greatly against god the relief that came by confessing his sin normally now i'll say this the lie of the devil is that if you had confess your sin you will be miserable. You know what David found out? He found out that hiding his sin was the miserable part, and that when he got right with God, all of a sudden, relief came to his soul. Some of you are here tonight, and you're holding on, you're harboring some kind of sin that no one else might even know about. Maybe there are people who do know about it, but you're still harboring it. Can I tell you something? God wants you to know relief that comes through confession of sin. So I want you to see three things tonight. First of all, I want you to see this, is that relief uh, starts with admitting your rebellion. Relief starts with admitting your rebellion. You say, Brother Matt, what do you mean by that? Well, it's as simple as this. What I'm trying to say is simply call sin what it is. Look, if you would, Psalm 51. Let's jump to start off at verse number three. David said, for... I acknowledge. The word acknowledge there means to admit something. You know, when you've been caught, remember, especially as a kid, maybe even as an adult, you get caught doing something, whether that be something good, whether it be something bad, you got caught doing something, and so you have to admit, yeah, I did that. Well, David said, I admit, and notice what he says. He doesn't just say, I admit my sin, although he probably could have said that. He uses a very specific word, and he says, I admit my transgressions. Now, why is that significant? I'd say it's significant because the word transgressions, it's a big old English word. We don't use it so much today. But the word transgressions is a word that means rebellion. You know what David called his sin? You know what he called it? He didn't just call it sin. He called it rebellion. You know what we would call that, I guess, today in the American court of law? treason if you're taken to court let's say you're you're taken to court in america and you are charged with treason that people that's a big deal that's on a different level than i mean yeah i I don't know maybe it's because we don't hear about it as much maybe it's because we see so many other crimes but when someone gets charged with treason that is a big thing that's a big thing. You know what David says about his sin? He says that my sin 
is treasonous. It is rebellion. It is outright rebellion against God. And you know what David was willing to do? You want to know where relief in his spirit began? It began when he was willing to admit that his sinful choices were not just my bad. They were rebellion against God because here's God. God is our creator. He is the, um, the one who has, um, who has built time. He is the one who has built the universe. He is the one who has, whose very character and nature has built the moral law code that, is, uh, that, that spans the universe. And so when we sin, our sin is not just my bad. Our sin, you've got to see this, folks, is that your sin is not just, oh, my bad. Your sin is a rebellion. It is outright rebellion against God. When we commit sin, it is not simply a mistake. You ever said that about your sin? Well, I made a mistake. No, you didn't. You need to call it what God calls it. God calls your sin not a mistake. He calls it rebellion. That's what he calls it, and we need to as well. Oh, when we sin, it's not just a bad habit that I have, although it might be habitual. God says you need to call it what it is. God calls it outright rebellion. Uh, Don't call your sin just, it's just a struggle of mine, even though it might be a struggle. God says your sin, if you have a sin problem that is recurring, he says it is not just a struggle. You have got to see that your sin problem is rebellion against God. Uh, You know, being uh, uh, committing sin is not just being, being stupid. Folks, when I was in Bible college, a favorite phrase of the guys, when someone did something very sinful, they would just say, yeah, he was being stupid. That's what they'd use a lot. Did you know that when you sin against God, you are not being stupid. You are outright rebelling against the creator of the universe. That's how God sees your sin. When we sin, it's not just being stupid. It's not just a bad decision or just, a, just an addiction. We have got to see our sin as outright rebellion against God because, you know, we would see ourselves as, okay, I'm a Christian. I've been saved. I've asked Jesus to be my Savior. And so I love God. And sometimes I just make mistakes along the way. Folks, you want to know relief? When you get right with God, you've got to call your sin what God calls it. God calls your sin of pride rebellion. God calls arrogance rebellion. God calls coveting, which is sin, rebellion. God calls complaining, which is sin, rebellion. God calls lust, which is sin, rebellion. God calls anger, which is sin, he calls it rebellion. When we have you know, sometimes we just want to say, oh, well, I'm just kind of irritable. You know, I just have a little bit of irritability about me. Folks, that is not, that is not a characteristic of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we just want to say, well, I'm just kind of, you know, I just, you know, maybe I have a little problem with my attitude. Folks, if we have an, uh, an issue with having a wrong attitude, we don't just have a little issue. We have a problem with rebellion. And if you want to ever see, if you want to know relief from confessing your sin, it's got to start with you realizing that, uh, that our sin, be it pride or anger or coveting or lust or attitude or irritability or the neglect of prayer, whatever it may be, we need to call it what God calls it. God calls it outright rebellion. In fact, in verse number six, uh, David says about God, behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. In other words, what he's saying there is that before you're going to ever know relief from confessing your sin, God says, we got to start talking the truth. Before we can ever deal with the problem, we've got to be truthful about the problem. You ever notice that with um, maybe counseling, maybe if someone's an alcoholic or something like that, is that, is, is that the counselor says, first of all, you know what, we gotta, you gotta, you got to be truthful with me. you got to quit exaggerating. you got to quit lying about the facts. And God says the same thing. If we want to get somewhere, if you want to know a relief, uh, the relief of having a restored relationship with God, you got to start with realizing your sin is not just some mistake. It's not just you being stupid. It's not just, oh, you have a little bit of a bad habit or just a kind of a, a bad way sometimes. You've got to call your sin what God calls it. God calls our sin outright rebellion. And he says in verse number three, or verse number three, for I acknowledge my sin. Listen, in the English language, we use pronouns all the time. And we see them plenty in our scriptures for, well, because it's English. We use pronouns all the time. In the Hebrew language, which was the Old Testament was translated into English from that, they did not use a whole lot of pronouns. And when they used a pronoun, it was for emphasis sake. And so you know what David says? 
I am the sin problem. Now hang on. You do realize that there was someone else in bed with him. Someone else was sinning with him. But you know what? He didn't try to pass the blame off onto her. He didn't try to say that she's the one at fault if it wasn't for her. He didn't play the blame game like Adam and Eve did. Instead, he said, I admit my rebellion. I acknowledge my transgressions. And he says, and he says, I acknowledge them before God. Folks, if you want to know the blessing of forgiveness, we have got to stop blaming others for our sins. And if we want to see forgiveness started, it's got to start there with us admitting admitting to our sin. But here's the second part uh, of that is he says, then in verse number three, he says, I acknowledge my transgressions, and he says, and my sin is ever before me. So if you want to know relief, uh, if you want to know relief from confession, relief starts with admitting your rebellion. Call sin what it is and listen to conviction. One of the things God will do is when you've done something wrong, especially if you've been saved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, God is going to speak to you and is going to, and is going to let you know that you are wrong. And, uh, you know, we talk about that still small voice, that kind of quiet voice that comes along and tells us what we ought to do. You know what David said? He said that during this time when she was, um, her pregnancy, verse 3, he says that my sin was ever before me. In other words, on his mind all the time was the guilt and the shame. For almost a year, he ignored it, pushed it away, and hoped it would disappear over time, just like some of you do. Because some of you may have some kind of sin habit, some kind of sin problem, maybe no one else knows, maybe just your spouse knows. And God is on top of you saying, put it away. Get right with God. Call it sin. Even though you feel like you need that sin, call it what I call it. Call it rebellion. And yet you kind of push it away and push it under the rug, even as God puts his pressure on you. Listen, David said in Psalm 32 about this situation, he said, when I kept silence, he said, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Literally, David says, his body aged extra because of the emotional pressure that he was under because he would not get right with God. And some of you are there. Some of you are there. And he says, for thy day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Folks, can I say something? When God is trying to get your attention and saying, listen, your sin is not just a little thing. It's not just you being stupid. It's not just a mistake. It is outright rebellion. When God is trying to convince you of that, folks, listen to conviction. Friends, because conviction is God's gentler way of getting your attention before he has to chasten you. Conviction is God's gentler way to get your attention before he has to chasten you. God trying to convict you that your sin is sin, admit it to God. Admit it to God and and realize that it is sin. Stop trying to cover it up. Stop trying to blame it on someone else. Stop trying to call it, well, it's not that big of a deal. If God calls it sin, we need to call it sin as well. If you want to know relief in your spirit, to know a a renewed relationship with God, relief starts when you will admit that your sin is outright rebellion. But here's number two. Number two is that relief from confession enters by God's forgiveness. Now, notice if you would, up to um, verse number one, okay? So God, about one thing is um, uh, about God's forgiveness is that his forgiveness is, just kind of hold this in your mind for now, is that God's forgiveness is based on his character. Verse number one says, have mercy upon me, O God. So here he he says, he's willing to admit his sin. And do you know what he cries out for? Mercy. You know what the word here, the word here translated as mercy is a word that means to show pity or to show favor on someone. You ever ask someone to do a favor for you? We all have. You know, that's that's, that's normal. You know, you have a friend, you ask them to do a a favor for you. Um, You know, you know who we don't ask very often to do favors for us? You know, famous people. 
busy people. You know, we, if someone seems so, so, you know, when we look at someone and think, oh, they don't have time, you know, they don't really have time for someone like me, or uh, they're too busy for someone like me, you know, we'd never approach them and ask for a favor. You know something that's good is that God is about the most famous person in this universe, and he doesn't mind favoring us with mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is you not getting what you deserve. You know, our sin deserves punishment. And you know what God says? If you'll start by being willing to admit that your sin is not just some little mistake, if you're willing to admit that your sin is is bad, it is outright rebellion, you know what God says he'll start with? He'll start with pouring on you mercy. Not giving you what you deserve because uh, because of our sin. You know, one thing, when people approached a king, if they had done something wrong and they would cast themselves at the mercy of the king, you know what? They had no idea if the king would show mercy. All they were doing was hoping that maybe the king would have a good day and would show mercy. They had no idea if the king would show mercy. But you know something about God is that we don't have to wonder if God shows mercy. We don't have to wonder if he does it because God is who is free to give his grace to whoever he wants. God has chosen to dump out his grace and mercy on anyone who asks for it. When you're willing to start by admitting that you've done wrong, God is more than willing to dump out as much mercy as your sin can handle. God's character is such that he will always forgive confessed sin. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3 verse 31 says, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Luke 18 says, And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he says, God, show mercy on me. If he was to cast himself at the throne of any other king, he didn't know if there would be mercy, but he knew that no matter how often he had sinned, no matter how big the sin was, he could come to the throne of God and always get mercy. And so can you. God's mercy did not run out because your sin got too big. God's mercy has not run short because you have sinned the same sin too often. God will forgive every sin you are willing to admit is rebellion. And he's willing to show mercy on, on it every single time. He says, show, have mercy upon me, O God, listen to this, according to thy loving kindness. So he says, you know what the basis is for God showing mercy? Because we think, you know, we think, we, we have human minds. We don't, we can't fully comprehend the mind of God, but we think, wow, No matter what, no matter how often, if we're willing to confess, admit our sin, God is willing to forgive that many times. You know, our minds say, oh, I guess he's allowed to do it, but why would you do that? What, What would be the motivation of that? Well, he says, you know why God is willing to forgive so many times? He says, it's because I have loving kindness. And the word loving kindness, it has, it's a word that has the idea of being loyally good and loyally kind. In other words, God's forgiveness, when, when, when you ask God to forgive you, God's forgiveness is not based on your performance after you sin. It's based on his character, his loving kindness. And guess what, folks? His loving kindness cannot change. Your performance will. So oftentimes, you know what happens oftentimes is we think that um, God will really forgive, whatever that is, really forgive us. He'll really forgive us if, after we have asked for forgiveness, if we improve a little while, then, then we know he'll really forgive us. Folks, God's forgiveness of you is not based on how your performance does after you confess your sin. You know why God forgives your sin? You know why God pours out mercy every time that you ask for it? You know why? Because that's just what he does. And he ain't changing on that. And you know something? That is good. Because if it was based on performance, we'd be in trouble. 
Because we're about as inconsistent as possible. But you know something? God's character is absolutely consistent. And he says that he will forgive you every time you are willing to confess sin to him because that's just what he does. That is the very nature of who he is. You know why we have such a hard time believing that? Because we're around humans that don't do that. They're called parents, spouses. Who, when we say, maybe you remember saying this to your, uh, maybe your dad, you asked forgiveness, and, but you knew dad was holding you at, at arm's length until he thought you had improved. Maybe that's what life was like for you. Maybe that's how it is now with your spouse. Where you ask forgiveness, but they kind of hold you at bay for a little bit to see if you really, really mean it. You know what? Humans may act that way. Thank goodness God does not forgive that way. God's forgiveness is way different. It is something totally different. It's not based on you improving. It's based on his character that he says, I'll always forgive. Folks, your confession of sin always triggers God's mercy. And God can't change on that. He already said, I'm not going to change on that. You can't create a scenario or a sin that if it is not legitimately, humbly, truthfully confessed, that won't trigger God's mercy. There is not a sin that will not do that because God forgives you just because that is what he does. And notice what God does when he forgives. It says, he, it says in verse number one, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the, here it is again, the multitude of thy tender mercies. He says, blot out my transgressions. You know what the word blot out means? It means to delete. It means to erase something. It means to erase it as if it had never happened. You know something that, um, you know, our country is so, is so neat, how, it was, how it's been structured to, to function. You know, one thing, one power that the president has that Congress can't stop Supreme Court cannot stop. The president has one power that no one else in the United States can stop. You know what it's called? The pardon. The president is authorized to pardon whoever. And he doesn't have to go to get a vote. He doesn't have to go before a, a board to get permission. He's able to give out this and, and pardon people who, uh, who do not deserve it. And he is able to erase, eradicate uh, the, a debt that they might hold against the country. He is able to eradicate and delete that debt. Now, and that's kind of the picture of what God does for us. Because, you know, when we confess sin to other people, do not they oftentimes remember it? and remind you of it and review it with you and remind you how much you hurt them do you know what though they might do that guess what god doesn't do that you can know this is that god is not someone who who reviews and brings things back up by the way when thoughts come to your mind you think oh my goodness you're replaying the the replays in your mind where you think oh i'm such uh, i'm such a dirty rotten person folks that stuff is not coming from god that is not of God, because God, when he forgives, he says he blots out, he erases, uh, the, he erases the, uh, the, uh, the sin, the, uh, the account that we have against him. You know, do you know what sins God keeps record of? All the ones you haven't confessed. The rest are deleted. The rest are erased and are not on your record. Because so, so often we, we walk around and we think, uh, we, we know, okay, I did that wrong. And so we, maybe we go, we get away quietly into our room, just say, Lord, I was wrong, please forgive me. And then we, and we mean it, and we, are, we legitimately hum, uh, humbly mean it. And then we walk around after that thinking, well, maybe God didn't really uh, forgive me. God probably still knows about it. Well, well obviously, God is not some, God is not, uh, you know, supernaturally just, oh, I forgot about it. But God says once he has, once he has forgiven you, he chooses not to think on that sin anymore humans do that but not god because when he forgives you he erases the debt of sin that you owe against him and also you know something else is that when god forgives you not only is it based on his character that doesn't change he'll just do it just because that's what he does and he erases the sin debt that you have but the bible also says that when he forgives his forgiveness also comes with an extra package that he cleans you out. Verse number two says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity 
and cleanse me from my sin. You know what the word wash there, it says wash me from, uh, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. The word wash, I was looking this up, and the word wash means to perform the work of a fuller. And I said, that's neat. What's a fuller? You know, <laughs> what, in the, what in the world is that? Well, I, so I did a little bit more uh, researching, and a fuller, uh, let's, you know, a modern term for that would be like a laundry person, okay? Someone who you would pay to do your laundry. One of the things the fuller would do is when he had laundry, one of the things he would do is the process of fooling or cleansing clothes included, they would take some kind of a, a substance that would, uh, and they would take this, and they would take the clothes, put it in water, and they would s- literally take their feet sometimes and stomp this substance into the clothes to grind this substance into the clothes so that the stain that was in there is able to come out. They would literally take their feet sometimes and grind it, grind this uh, these, these um, kind of soaps substances into the clothes in order to take out the stain. And you know what David says? He says, God, would you wash me the way a fuller does the clothes? You know what God does when you are willing to admit that your sin is rebellion? God not only forgives you, God not only erases your sin debt, he literally stomps out every last trace of that sin on your record and inside of you, and he cleans you out. He cleans you thoroughly. And it says in verse number seven, David says, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was this plant that they, that they would use, and this was intriguing. The, the word, the, the hyssop was just a plant, and it was oftentimes used in a ceremonial way if someone wanted to show that they were ceremonially clean. And they would use a, a piece of hip, hyssop to, you know, demonstrate before the priest that they were ceremonially clean. And so you know what David says? He says, purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. But it's almost like he says, you know what, let's go beyond that. I don't want just ceremonial cleansing. He says, wash me, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Wash me so that I am whiter than snow. You know, when you ask forgiveness for sin, God not only erases the record and forgives you fully, he also cleans you out. And he says, clean me out whiter than snow. Which, people, that's significant because in Revelation chapter 1, when John saw the vision of God, you know how he described him? White as snow. You know what David says? Wash me whiter than snow. Do you know something is that when God forgives you, he cleans you out. Do you not sometimes especially when sin is a habit, do you not sometimes feel dirty after you've gotten right with God? Do you not sometimes feel like a dirt bag and feel like just this piece of trash that God would not want? Do you know something that when you get sin right with God, that you are not some piece of trash that God does not want? Said so God says in his eyes, you are washed, you are clean, you have been purged, you are whiter than snow. Verse number 10, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. I love how verse 14 says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. In other words, David was walking around thinking, oh my goodness, I am so guilty. I feel like such a failure when God's communication to David was, you Even though you have failed, God's plan is not for you to walk around thinking I'm just some piece of dirty filth for all this sin I've done. No, if you've gotten right with God, God says you're clean. And if you don't believe that, you don't believe God. So if you're going to get right with God, confess sin, and then you walk around saying, I'm just a dirty dirt bag, you are not, you you believe something unbiblical. Because if you've gotten saved, God says in his sight, He has washed you whiter than snow. Well, I don't feel that way. Well, folks, it is time to decide if we're going to accept God's word or our feelings. Because you know something is if you're you're thinking, man, I got this sin right with God, but I still feel guilty. I still feel bad about it. You know something? Those feelings are not coming from God. So they're not coming from God. I'm just going to kind of venture at they're probably not coming from a great source whether that be your own 
flesh, whether that be the world, whether that be the devil lying to you. The devil loves, loves Christians who have already gotten right with God. The devil would love every one of you to stay in a pit of guilt, thinking I am just worthless before God. God does not want to use me anymore. That is not in the Bible. God says when you've gotten saved, you've got mercy dumped all over you. You were washed out. Every last trace of dirt has been stomped out by the fuller. The fuller, the God the fuller, it's been stomped out. Your record is erased. Why walk around talking like you're an absolute failure? Well, because I feel like a failure. Folks, it's time you, you, you accepted the, the truth of God's word over your feelings and accepted what God said. Because, you know, I understand why oftentimes we, we use the phrase, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I understand what we mean by it. But you know, sometimes we take that phrase and run with it where we should never go and thinking, eh, I'm, just a, I'm just a no good failure, I can't do anything right, and I'm just whatever, you know, I'm just trying to do what I can for God. You know, if you've gotten right with God, God does not see you as a piece of trash of failure. He sees you as a washed, cleaned out, whiter than snow Christian. And when God is white as snow and he says he cleans you out whiter than snow, I don't want to get, I don't want to go take that too far, but I'm just saying something. God has apparently cleaned you out. And you need to take the clean heart by faith. That if God says you're clean, then I'm going to accept that I am clean even if I don't feel like I am. Even when I don't feel, because that's oftentimes where we get stuck is we like, I know God has forgiven me, but I feel so dirty. Listen, those are not the things God wants you to dwell on. He says, when you get right with him, God creates in you a clean heart. And that's good. That's good that God would do something like that. That God would be willing to, to, to look on us and have pity on us, have mercy on us. That sometimes, you know, we feel like we have to do good before God will accept us. We feel like we have to do a bunch of things the opposite of our sin before God will accept us. But that is so far from what God will do. Take the cleansing of the clean heart by faith no matter how you feel. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins... There's that word confess, to admit, to acknowledge. He is what? Faithful. There's the loving kindness. And just, fair, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, sometimes we use that verse to talk about salvation, but 1 John 1 was written to believers. And he says, you can't create a sin that I will not forgive if you will humbly and truthfully and with all your heart admit it's rebelling against me. There's not a sin you can do that will not trigger forgiveness and a clean heart. You hang on to that sin as long as you want. You want relief? You want relief from the guilt that maybe you're carrying around that perhaps you shouldn't be carrying around, folks, it's time you accessed the clean heart and realized, you know something, God, you've already said I'm clean. You know, some, if, God has said, if you've gotten right with God and God says you're clean and you don't think you're clean, you don't believe God. You don't believe what God has plainly said there in the scriptures. He says that you are clean. You know, sometimes it just blows my mind to think, God, why would you want to forgive that again and make me clean again? Why would you... You know what, and I stop and I say, you know what, God, I'm not going to try to figure it out. I'm going to say thank you and go out in the confidence that you meant what you said. Because if we try to live in trying to figure it out, we're just going to drive ourselves up a wall and into unbelief. But instead, relief, uh, the relief of confession comes, from, uh, is triggered by God's forgiveness. Here's finally number three, and this is going to be real brief. Relief from confession comes with blessings. Look at what he says. If you're willing to admit, call sin what it is, listen to the conviction, and let God give you his mercy and erase your debt and, uh, and forgive you and wash you out and give you a clean heart, notice what it says will happen. Verse number nine. Hide thy face from my sins. It's the idea of avoiding judgment and punishment. Now I'll say this. Sometimes sin has consequences that may even never ending david had that i mean the child that they that they had together in immorality died 
David ended up having more children that, uh, that would rebel against him, children that ended up being murdered. Some, uh, some consequences are unavoidable, but you know what was that um, immediate judgment upon him, which he should have been given, was averted. And folks, one thing God will do when you get right with him and truly confess your sin is that judgment is avoided. Verse 11 says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thine Holy Spirit from me. The idea is that uh, David sensed that when he had sinned, he had lost the presence of God. You ever wonder why God seems so far away and why God doesn't care? And you think, what is wrong with God? Nothing's wrong with God. Is, it, is the problem that you're holding on to your sin and not willing to get right with God? David, as so long as he held on to his sin, felt like God was very far away. But when he confessed his sin and took the clean heart by faith, he said, give me back your presence. And God's presence was with him. Um, then also, uh, it says, uh, verse number eight, he said, uh, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice, verse 12, re <coughs> restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You know what he also experienced when he confessed his sin? Joy. Real happiness. He thought he would be happier if he hid his sin, but when he got right with God, he said, ha ha, finally, I have some joy. Some of your homes could really use some joy, but you're going to hang on to your sin. You wonder why God seems so far away. Folks, he, he is willing to forgive the farthest that you've gone, even if your spouse is not willing, even if your parent is not willing to forgive, even if your whoever is not willing to forgive. God is! And he says, you can have joy in your spirit even if the other person won't. You can have joy. He says then in verse number 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. The idea there is, he says, upholding with thy free spirit is the idea of strength for the future. And in verse 14, he says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And he says, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. You know what he found when he got right with God? Worshiping God was all of a sudden real easy. It was not complicated. It was not a chore. It was not a bore to worship God. It was a joy when he was right with God. Some of you maybe have been faking a lot of things for a long time, and it's real hard to come in here and sing on Sundays because you know there's something between your soul and the Savior. You know what David said? Thank goodness I got my sin right with God because I can finally worship him like I ought to, like I want to. And then he says, in verse number 13, he says another blessing. He says, verse number 13, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. In other words, he says, I can influence the pagan, the pagans for God, now that I'm right with God. And maybe some of you teach a Sunday school class, and yet you know you're not right with God. Why would you Teach people God's word. Why would you try to pray for lost kids that come to your Sunday school class when you're not willing yourself to be right with God? David says, you know what? Now that I'm right with God, I can teach sinners your ways, and sinners will be converted unto thee. You ever thought about maybe the reason why so-and-so is not saved, so-and-so has not received Christ? Is it because you're holding on to unconfessed sin? One of the blessings David found out was when he got right with God is that he was able to see sinners converted. And verse number 16, he says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. In other words, David says, Look, Lord, I know you want you know, the standard offering. You want me to do a burnt offering, but he says, I know what you desire more than that. You want my heart. You know what God wants from you tonight? He wants you to know the clean heart. Because he says in verse number 17, David tells us that a broken and a contrite spirit thou wilt not despise. You know what one of the greatest worship greatest worship you could give to God is? It's not a themed song service. It's not a... Um, I don't know, it's not a certain kind of style of song. The greatest worship you can give to God is to obey him and be right and be clean before him. Because God says, 
There is no reason for you to be living in, in misery. There is no reason for you to be, uh, to be at, at arm's length from God. You know, James 4, 6, God says he resisted the proud. What a scary place to be. People who are too proud to admit that their sin is rebelling against God. God says, I hold you out here. Good luck on praying for your grandparents' salvation. When God's holding you out here. And you're not willing to come clean with God. God says he resists the proud, but he gives grace, divine favor to the humble. Whoever is humble enough to admit that their sin is sin, God says, I have so much relief that can come if you will confess your sin, admit it was sin. God says, I want to dump out mercy and grace on you, and I want you to know that you have a clean heart. You don't have to walk around thinking I'm worthless, I'm trash, I'm a failure. You can have a clean heart. You humble yourself and be right with God. God wants you to know the relief of confession. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Folks, I hope, I, I think tonight should be just about as obvious as it needs to be um, of what we need to do. Um, and I don't know your life. I don't know your heart. Just I've, I've prayed and asked God to show me what, uh, you know, what to bring to you tonight. And this, is, this is the passage that the Lord really brought to mind. And so, folks, I hope that you will obey what God has said. So here's it real simple. I'm not going to get specific. But I think it's good for you to start by just a, this simple raise of hand question. How many of you would say tonight, by raising your hand, you would say tonight, God has shown me that there is a sin that I need to get right with God? How many of you would just simply raise your hand and say, God showed me one tonight? Good. Yes. Yes. I see some hands. Good. Yes. Yes. You can put them down. Good. All right. How about this? This also, because I like to ask this as well. How many of you would say, Brother Matt, tonight, God has really helped me, maybe opened my eyes to what, when I confess my sin, to the clean heart and the mercy that he gives when I get right with God? How many of you would say that as well here tonight? Good. Yes. Good, good, good. Yes. Plenty of hands. Good. All right, here's what we need to do. And Daniel's about to play here in just a moment. When he plays, would you do something? Some of you need to... Um, the front pews are open. No one's down here. You don't have to worry about getting too close to anyone else. So uh, some of you need to just come on down here and get some sin right with God. And when you do, thank him at the end of it for, a clean, for the clean heart that he has given you. Some of you just plain old need to do that. Some of you here tonight, I'll tell you what, some of you need to come on down to the front, get away from the people in the row with you, sit on this front pew and say, oh dear God, I did not know that when, when I got right with you that I had a clean heart. I thought I was just still a failure and guilty and all this thank you some of you need to just have a little hallelujah time and just praise god here on the front row in prayer with him and say thank you so much that i have a clean heart i'm not a piece of trash i am I, you have you have cleansed me you've made me whiter than snow thank you god some of you need to have a little praise meeting with god tonight so daniel i'm just going to ask you to play the song of your choice and as he plays would you please obey God? God says the broken and the contrite spirit he will not despise. So will you take this time right now? Take this time in prayer. Some of you need to come on down to the front and have prayer. Get alone with God. Some of you need to get right with God. And some of you need to have a little praise meeting with God and say, thank you for the clean heart and for what your mercy does. Will you do that now?